Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. This is part three of our interview with Jordan Daniel Wood in which he's discussing the work of Maximus the Confessor and uh, describing his work in both his dissertation and recent book that he's published. And in this final section, Jordan explains possible objections and implications. He also discusses uh, the objections that David Bentley Hart has had to his work uh, and tries to describe then the difference between their two approaches to Maximus. If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on social media and point others then to Forging Plowshares and to Plowshares Bible Institute. Jordan, that was a uh, um, shout out to David Artman, the Gray, the Grace Saves All uh, podcast. I, I heard you on that. And um, I, I, when you said something on there, I was like, man, I really, I really like this guy because I, I'd never c- kind of thought about it the way that you said it. But you said something like, you know, God's purpose and creation is to raise children. Mm-hmm. My introduction to St. Maximus was the 400 chapters on love or whatever it's called. But my point in saying that is, is what it sounds to me like you're, you're describing over and against like the, you know, what Paul was just saying about this sort of dynamic of death, sin and death and the construct, the sort of city that's built, you know, upon that construct, that Babylon or whatever is that what you're describing through Maximus is this dynamic of love, mm-hmm. of, of raising children. Uh, and that to me is a beautiful, that's such a beautiful picture of of creation, of incarnation, of deification. Is like this story of, in this process of raising children uh, as a loving parent for union with them. And of course, everything that we've been talking about is completely germane to the whole discussion of nature and grace. Yeah. Right, which is something we haven't, you know, we've been kind of talking about it, but we haven't been maybe talking about it in exactly those terms, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you can help us to understand because that's what you're saying, right? You're saying that nature is already graced, mm-hmm. right? I, I've been wondering about, um, you know, we we kind of mentioned this a little bit in our emails or whatever about um, some of like David Bentley Hart's like disagreements. Like, can you help us to understand like what's what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, I'll try. I will try. Um, some of it's difficult because uh, I find that the goalposts move a little bit and I'm not always totally sure where the disagreements lie. And I don't always assess them uh, to be as grave as as my good friend and sort of the, the master here, David, does. So, you know, so a few things there. One, one thing you'll notice, like in the third chapter of the book, is I have a whole section on grace and... Um, and again, in Maximus, you have a kind of a poor, I think I call it the aporia of grace in Maximus, which is that on the one hand, he's often very clear, like in stark, stark terms, that grace is in no way anticipated by nature. So he'll, I mean, you know, in Bigulum 21, Opusculum 1, all, all these places where he says, like, like there's no nothing in nature itself, in human nature, that is sort of already so there's nothing in nature itself that anticipates grace or deifying grace he says or else i don't know why we would call it ecstasy ecstasy is precisely per dionysius going out of one's nature to become something it isn't and so he doesn't he actually wants to again uphold the distinction the preserve the distinctions of say created and uncreated nature precisely to foreground and highlight the ecstatic loving um interpersonal character of the union uh apart from which two natures can't be one and the same thing so on the one hand you get that but on the other hand you also get like in parts of a ambiguum 10 for example which uh another certain person has been talking about maximus a little bit in nature and grace but he gets he, he skips over this um he's sort of an opponent of david's and um He'll say, you know, like Max, he'll like mention the stuff I just mentioned about how different grace and nature are and how almost extrinsically linked they seem to be. But then Maximus can say at the same time that, for example, he's he's talking about Melchizedek, um, who is a kind of paradigm of deification for us. He mm-hmm. gets that from the texts that say, like, 
Melchizedek is without generation. And I was taught growing up that meant he just did we don't know his parents. <laughs> but but uh Maximus goes goes, you know, hog wild on it and says actually what that means is he becomes uncreated. He has mm. no generation, he literally has no origin. And and so he says, but he pauses, he says, Do not think you cannot be a Melchizedek. Do mm. not think that this is reserved solely for Moses, Melchizedek and the patriarchs. He says, because the same power, and he does call it a power, dynamis, the same power that deifies Melchizedek is in everyone and in all things. Hmm. Like by virtue. So, so you get two things that seem like they don't go together, right? On the one hand, almost, he never says it's extrinsic, but almost a total disjunction between nature and grace. But then you also get the ubiquity of grace within and almost innate to all nature. And I, I propose that that Christological understanding of creation and its movements and its logic actually explains this, and in fact, predicts it. Because you don't need, if grace, grace, by the way, isn't some power, it's not some third thing outside of God in the world that sort of is like a, a boost up or some, <laughs> some kind of injection. Mm -hmm. It is God. Mm -hmm. Right. It is God. I mean, he alone can deify. God alone can make gods, right? Uh, Maximus says in, in question 60, he says, the recapitulation of all things in God is God. He flatly says it. Okay, so it's almost God, like grace is another name for God. It's like another name for uh, He is so gracious that he becomes the very act of his own grace. I mean, he is that. He's nothing other than totally and utterly favorable, favorable for you and, mm -hmm. and towards you. I mean, in other words, he's love. Right. So. If grace is God, then really for Maximus, it's the same problem as trying to understand how two, Christ can have two natures and make them one. Mm. It's the same problem. And for him, as, as in Christology, so too in, in, in eschatology, you don't, you don't bring them together except on the level of the person. Because you would destroy one or both natures if you tried to shove them together in what I call within the logic of essence or nature like definition and principle and you're trying to push them together okay so anyway I, I bring that up because that i think has the potential to synthesize and to mediate or if, if we want to get you know paul mentioned zizek so let's do it sublate you know um <laughs> um kind of like especially in the catholic world these discussions and arguments about you know a sort of two-tiered extrinsicist view of nature and grace versus a more de Lubachian, you know, uh, nouvelle theologie sort of great nature is always in grace. So I would say this, obviously I fall on the side of de Lubach in one mm -hmm. way, because I don't think I'm with Maximus. I don't think there's any actual nature anywhere that's devoid of grace. I, mm -hmm. I it, at least as a power, a dynamis. So I agree with that. However, on the, on the other hand, I can also understand why someone would object precisely the same way I can understand why somebody would object to saying that God and man or created and uncreated or finite and, fi and infinite are one in Jesus. And so I think to me that the trick is if put it that way, the, the, uh, the potential solution to this would be to not try to force these two irreconcilable abstracted, uh, you know, sort of definitional irreconcilable, things together because if you do you will seed one or the other one for the sake of the other or you will create a third thing which is neither i think that has the potential then to sort of address and maybe even um since sublate both sides of the debate where i think david and i might might disagree although sometimes i'm not sure like i feel like there are parts of you are gods his book um that sound quite like what i want to do and the chiasmus is christ right at the, right at the end of the book so okay well is okay so if it's christ christ isn't a nature he's not a hybrid nature we're not you know if you you know unless you're a mia a of a certain sort um you don't say it's like only one nature so it seems like david has had several different sort of critiques and he's never i think laid it out completely i mean there's a there's an article on um father al's blog Mm -hmm. but um it's a little circumspect and i and i still need to uh I, I i've told david i want to write like a more like a longer sort of you know um a sort of rapprochement i think i don't think we are re re reconcilable um on this i mean david for those that don't maybe know he wants to say that we are sort of by nature god mm -hmm. 
That is to say, it's but 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 here's where I think we're already sort of a little bit on a, uh, on the level of equivocation. What, is, what does he mean by nature? What he really mean, it's like more of a phenomenological point. What he means is if you look to the end of something, that tells you what it always was mm -hmm. and potency. Well, I, I agree with that. It's a good Aristotelian point. Okay, so then he looks at the end and says, well, well, our end is deification, is to become one with God, right? You are God, John 10, 10, quoting, you know, the Psalms. All right, so it must be that with it's it's within us already to become God from our from our very origins, like from birth or right, where the natus from birth, nature in Latin sort of comes from. Actually, I agree with that in in a certain sense, but we gotta start being clear about what do we mean. Nature can either mean something's formal perfection, like its essence, like it's what, what kind of thing it is. And depending on what kind of thing something is. It has its formal determinations, and therefore it sort of determines the kind of perfection it can have. If you're a ra rational being, you know, for Aristotle, for example, you find your fullest perfection on that level of reasoning. And so contemplation is the fulfillment of your essence, right? Whereas if you're if you're not a rational being, say you're just a sentient being, you know, you find your perfection on the level of locomotion, reproduction, ultimately, right? And, and so forth. And down further, you know, if you're a plant, your perfection looks different. So there's a way in which kinds of things, the essence of something, already kind of formally determines its perfection as the kind of thing it is. But there's another sense of nature, which simply means something more phenomenological, less ontological. And it means what is already in you from birth or from your origin to become. That's a much vaguer thing. And it doesn't necessarily mean the first thing. So one way I'd put it is this. I would agree that we are, I would agree with David that we are by our very origin to become God. But I think it's just as true then as to say that from our origin, we already aren't simply human. Rather than some trying to say like, you know, it is the very essence of humanity, qua human and humanity to become divine. Because if that's if that's the case, then I'm not really you know there's I've got a lot of issues with that logical and also Christological and like what's what's the point of why would even Christ have two natures if he could have simply been human and therefore been God and that's sort of virtually the same thing. So that's why I think our differences aren't as grave as they've been made out to be. I already think all nature is engraced. I think grace is God. I think therefore the, the 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 sort of perfection of nature by grace is the same thing as the union of the natures of Christ. Actually, Bulgakov uh, at one point in the Lamb of God equates Christ's two natures with created uncreated Sophia. So there's even a sort of I think a rapprochement there. Um, and so that's that's the where I want to go is say I think David is making a phenomenological point, and sometimes it elides into metaphysics or ontology and that's where i think there's an equivocation i'm not always sure which which definition of nature is being used and i want to keep them distinct and clear not because they're actually distinct in a life in a person but because i don't think we need to open up the truth of deification to these very pretty pretty obvious objections that are going to be raised if you say well actually human a human being is is god right i also think there's there's some benefit, more benefit to my perspective because it kind of makes sense of things like why there were controversies at all for 700 years of the church. If it's pretty simple that, you know, look, being a human being more or less leads to you being God, then what's all this Nestorian stuff? Why Arian? Why Arianism? Why Monenergism? Why my Miaphysitism versus, you know, why Chalcedon? Why the dispute? Right. What about monothelitism even? Right. Why Why is there any kind of anxiety around this stuff? If that's more or less clear, if you just sort of make a few metaphysical points and you're done. Um, I don't even think in Aristotle it's clear. In book 10 of the um, Nicomachean Ethics, he himself is pretty unsure whether or not we're God or human, precisely because he doesn't think that, that you can be both. So either we're sort of divine partially because in certain moments we can reach levels of contemplation, but since, as he says, it's not eternal, it's not properly called God, God divine or godlike. Or maybe there is something for Aristotle, and he, as you know, he doesn't opine on that very much. And perhaps we do become sort of God, but then he doesn't see how we could remain human, at least, you know, because for him, what's human is what we have right now, what we see. 
So anyway, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't, I also think, you know, I, I want to say this here just because <laughs> why not? I don't really think it's um, that useful to appeal to something like classical metaphysics or classical theism in order to make this point about becoming God and put Christ in the middle of the, as the chiasmus when you have an entire entire traditions of classical theists that are other religions that reject the incarnation precisely on classical theist grounds. Like it doesn't really clarify much for me because so either you're already kind of doing an idealist thing, which, you know, he wouldn't necessarily, he sometimes wants to own or doesn't want to own where you're sort of already conceiving the infinite in a way in which it isn't simply a bad infinite and the negation of finitude. Um, and so which, but there's a whole lot of other traditions that wouldn't want to go there precisely because it does seem to lead to something like the possibility of incarnation um, or or why not just let's just own that what we are saying is already Christologically informed our conception of the infinite. That's the other point I'd say. Some sometimes I'm not you know there's been some times where where David sort of wanted to say that what I'm proposing is more or less nonsense and it's, it's an absurdity and a philosophical dead end because obviously you know opposites by their very nature can't be reconciled. Well, actually, the truth is opposites can't be reconciled on the very grounds by which they are opposite. <laughs> that's right. And that's the whole point of Max. That's, that's the whole point. And it's also, I think, the whole dynamism of the of the development around Christology. I mean, that's what we're trying to get to. And so it it, it really, it isn't the case that I'm, I'm trying to abstractly resolve mm -hmm. On the same grounds, the very, the very, uh, on the same grounds that divide and create the dilemma. Any more than Bulgakov is, by the way, whose canonic Christology is very much an embrace of the seeming irreconcilable of opposites. He explicitly says it many times in the Lamb of God. It's why he even has to do these kind of speculatively daring moves about the depths of the kenosis of the Son of God in his life, precisely because things like omniscience don't seem to sit very obviously on the abstract level with things like ignorance. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Bulgakov is far more, I think, speculatively interesting and daring on that point, but he's also intuiting something a little deeper. Um, and, you know, Bulgakov and, 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 and sociology, I think there's a lot of stuff there. I, I have very little problems with with uh with that i would want to maybe change things here and there and i want to again make a sort of rapprochement with that way of doing it i think why not but uh but certainly the reckon the rec i mean the recognition that uh that the very principle that divides two realities is 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 the you know you can't sort of reconcile those realities on that same level is is fundamental i mean not only to the rejection say on the parts of the nestorians uh, or on the parts of Arius earlier or on later parts, but but also of a lot of other non-Christian perspectives and philosophies. But then, but then, you know, I mean, it also, to me, it diminishes the kind of the mystery of Christ to pretend that these are more or less formally, uh, you can get at it formally apart from the event. I mean, look, here's, here's the, at the end of the day, here's the thing. It's not like anybody had a problem abstractly with divinity and humanity and we're trying to shove them together what it is is a god man died on the cross and then from that event you say well hold on how is this possible is he really god or not that's the dynamism of the christological developments so it's an event that gives rise to a new question and to deep appreciation of a deeper logic at work it's not the other way around so that's 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 where i'd want to go you know and so you know, I'm not trying to propose a quote unquote principle of hypothesis or person to resolve abstracted uh, uh, oppositions. I'm recognizing the oppositions through their concrete identity in the one God man. That's the problem and the resolution. Christ is the resolution. Christ yes. is the singular resolution. Christ is the logic. The logic of the incarnation is the basis of salvation. And yes. I think that understanding. You've, you've just laid it out, is the very ground for a truly radical, peaceable gospel. And I yes. think in your piece on Constantine, I think this is unfortunate. I think that, uh, that what Milbank is missing, what David Bentley Hart are missing, in spite of their ability to describe seemingly this profound, peaceable ontology, 
that because I, I'm afraid that it's the very thing that you've just addressed, that they're trying to work in a kind of formal logic that, in fact, is still adhering more to a Greek understanding than a specifically Christologic. Mm-hmm. That is the only logic that is going that is going to be the proper ground for a mm-hmm. peaceable gospel. Mm-hmm. Would you? I mean, I, I think you've said that quite well. Yeah, it's there's no such such thing as an abstract person, and so there's no such such need for an abstract principle person to resolve abstract opposites. Um, they are only even perceived as opposites, or as Maximus says in Ambiguum Five, the generation of opposites is that through which we perceive his true identity and it's his it's him it's not you know so i'm not i'm not looking around for a principle of person to to solve all of my dilemmas i'm looking to a person an actual person who's who's in now now look in terms of conceptual content yeah it's empty it's an empty cipher but just as empty as your proper name is which is to say actually not empty at all only conceptually empty and and yes it's something you can only know by experience just like you can only know a person by experience but as soon as you know them and then you say their name that's not empty for you you know exactly what you're saying and I, and and if if it's Jesus Christ you know the name given above every name from Philippians 2 it's he's the resolution if he's the one who break you know in whom the 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 barrier of division has been knocked down from Ephesians Mm -hmm. if he's the one in whom all things have been recapitulated it's not a principle it's a person who alone is the principle of all things an actual person so I don't think that's an empty signifier unless you don't know Jesus then maybe it is and and that is the only means I mean here is the one who has truly overcome death he's defeated death and the orientation to death that is the characteristic of the kingdoms of this world, that is a particular logic, almost a necessary logic. In fact, I would see it is it is a necessity apart from the logic of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I think you're describing this peculiar, particular thing that maybe these may uh, you know, these guys are both very impressive, but in their turn, I I don't know where to lay the blame or to, I don't want to pick on these guys. But I think in in the turn to the notion of some form, sort of formal structure, a Greek understanding, uh, that in fact that they're they're guilty of the thing that people like Bear and Samalicus then are bringing a, a corrective to, and that is, oh, this isn't Greek. That's not to say they're you know we're not doing the Greeks here. No, we're doing Christianity, and that's distinctive. And that's what I see. That's what I see your work doing. Yeah, and it's and it's not even in the form of like a simple negation. Because if if it was a simple negation, it would just be to choose one opposite over the other. It is the person of Christ, as I say at the end of the book and the conclusion. I say, you know, um, I'm, I'm addressing it in different terms. Like, uh, you know, a lot of what I'm saying can kind of maybe make people nervous because of the, you know, the uniqueness and primacy of Christ. You know, if he's create, if, if he's the principle of creation, and you know he, he's going to be incarnated always in all things, like what happened to the uniqueness of Christ? You know, it's a different kind of uh, iteration of the same problem or the same tension. And one of the things, what a, my response to that would be, like, look, um, actually, <laughs> what when we say primacy or uniqueness of Christ, we usually are sort of secretly meaning exceptionality. We want Christ to be an exception to a general rule of like necessity or something like that, whether that's ethically or politically or, you know, metaphysically even. And actually the thing about exceptions is that they're really not um, surprising at all. (laughs) You know exactly what an exception is precisely to the degree that you know what a rule is so that you can see it when it occurs because it's simply a break in the rule. It's an exception, right? So I actually... What Christ actually proves himself most exceptional precisely by not having to be one or the other. In fact, he's both. He's the rule as the exception and is the exception as the rule of all things. Again, is this getting mystical? Of course it is, but it's because it's a person we're talking about, not just a good a good idea. And so that that's 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 I would say something similar about like the Greek sort of thing is like 
it's that's why the, the church fathers could use and make you know use of the concepts and all that is precisely because they don't need to negate them on mm -hmm. their own terms. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm going to borrow you know the word sublation, but I think the word itself is just synthesis in the Greek. It's 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 union according to synthesis. The so synthesis brings together parts, doesn't negate them. It brings them together on a on a, on a level or a dimension or whatever you want to say that that therefore relieves the need to accomplish what accomplish what's accomplished in the person on the level of the natures you don't need the natures to do that i don't need nature and grace to be reconciled as simply one virtual potency of the other formally understood in an aristotelian fashion i don't need that not because that's automatically wrong like you said there's a great coherence to it apart from Right, mm -hmm. the person of Christ and the incarnation and all the other distinctive features of of the Christian faith. It's just that in the light of the those mysteries, the mysteries of the faith, the, the faith, the incarnation, I can look at those things and not simply have to negate them. I don't have to do that at all because they don't rise to that level. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what I would say is like. So I think I put it in the conclusion that he proves himself most exceptional precisely by being repeatable in a non-formal way throughout everything. So he's not just a generic law that we get instances of, nor is he a simple exception to every law. He is more than both because he is both. And I think actually, if, we're pay, if we pay attention even phenomenologically to our own intersubjective relationships in love, basically, you already kind of know that about, you already kind of know that. In fact, that, that apocalypse happens in every person in every act of love, put it that way. Um, you know that a person is never exhausted by what you could ever say of them or about them or any idea or any portrait or any description, and yet you know the person. It's not like you lack knowledge of them. Mm -hmm. And so I don't see why it would be dramatically different in the case of Christ. And it's why it's also, it's this is where I think faith is open to reason precisely because that knowledge of persons is explicitly and openly available to our everyday experience. Actually, what you said was very Zizakian. I don't know if you were aware of that. That, yeah, he he's probably seeped in here and there. I yeah. I, I quite <laughs> like some of the stuff he's written. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you could say why you love someone, you don't love them. If it's their curly <laughs> hair, or their you know their white teeth, or uh, oh no, that's, that <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jordan, uh, I don't want to wear you out, <laughs> but uh, is, is it okay if we do a couple more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, and here, I, I think we've been flying high. I think yeah. we've we've reached the heights, and I, I hope I don't I don't want to uh, to make it crash and burn here. <laughs> but but let me just ask some sort of mundane things. Sure. Um. And these are these are questions that have been posed to me about your work. Perfect. And, and I think you've really answered them. But but let me just hit a few of these questions. Are we dealing? Are are you advocating a form of panentheism? Well, I think it's at least that. So insofar as all things are in God, which is just to say everything has one source ultimately, and that's God. But I want to say more than that. I want to say something more like Maurice Blondel called his early work Pan-Christism. That I would own. I own that label. So we're only I'm only panentheist and pantheist through a Pan-Christism. <laughs> you know, it's it's you know, it's Colossians 3:11. I don't know how people get around that. I mean, it explicitly just says Christ is all things and in all things. I think that you you've sidestepped a criticism that some might bring against someone like Richard Rohr, or you know, when Rohr says, "Well, my dog is Christ," and 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 of course, what as I understand it, and what the the idea there in a Franciscan or in in this understanding is a kind of focus on Christ. I mean, Rohr says this: a focus yeah. on Christ over and against the focus on Jesus. Right, yeah, you know, and if, and that's uh, I actually haven't read much Roar. I'm a, I'm I'm a sh ashamed to admit my my family has read lots of Roar, <laughs> and so it's almost like that that helps them understand like what I'm babbling on about. But it's uh, 
But from what I've heard, you know, obviously I, you know, I would maybe want to qualify some of the language and, and the sharp division between Jesus and Christ. I get the point. I don't think it's just simply a heresy or something, or he's just a historian. Um, but uh, I would want to maybe formulate it differently. But the intuition there, yeah, is very much, I think, the same. I mean, you know, look, I would throw this out there as a reference for somebody. If somebody's worried about uh, Richard Rohr saying that, that his dog is Christ, I mean, don't read like him 15 from St. Simeon, the New Theologian, because he says certain things are Christ that are, uh, you know, I, I won't even mention here. So um, th this isn't a new idea that's just arisen in like sort of a new age context with Richard Rohr. I mean, this is this is stuff that, again, I think if you if you follow the stream, there's other names we could name, but, you know, you, you got origin. Um, you've got Gregor Nyssa and in Illud, you know, that text, you've got Maximus, you've got St. Simeon, you've got Eckhart, you've got all these different people. And so, and for, and the Franciscans, like you said, so yeah. Um, yeah. The comparison has been made before and I need to look more into it actually. Well, I, I, I think that the, the whole focus on the incarnation is already a bypassing of what the Franciscans are doing. Am I, right. am I, you think that that's good? Yeah. And I think, because it's, it's you know, I ask a lot of the readers of the first section of the book. In fact, I, to be honest with you, I didn't really realize a lot of people would read this book. <laughs> you know, I thought I was writing as an academic other. I mean, I think it's, I think it's you know, you got to work at it. But, but, but there is a point to that first chapter putting out the really precise definitions and conceptual distinctions. And it's, and it's for the kind of thing you're saying, like, you know, some people have raised the question, like, well, you know, doesn't this do away with creation ex nihilo? And then I would just simply say back, well, was Jesus's humanity created from nothing or not? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so for some reason we can say, you know, uh, both that something, a reality was created from nothing and it's Jesus. I, ha I had several questions here. And again, this is, this is not my question. And you may okay. recognize where this question is coming from, <laughs> but, I, but I, I won't, I won't say, <laughs> And that is that isn't there a loss of coherence or of integrity in the Maximian formula that this loss of creation's integrity by its fusion with grace uh, is is really a loss of distinction between creator and creation? Um, only if the fact that the word is Jesus of Nazareth, who was whose flesh was created according to, you know, the Synod, uh, the Lateran Synod of Force six, uh, 649, where Maximus was present, says that he's created by nature and uncreated by nature, which is just an extension of saying he's God and human, right? Unless humans aren't, aren't created for people. So if, once again, if his way of being one, as both created and uncreated, doesn't blur and destroy the distinction in principle between created and uncreated. Um, I'm not sure why it would do so on the grounds that just because you're created, you must not be able to become God because like he's done that. He's done that. He's become God. Uh, he's become human so that we can become God. And for Maximus's formulations, like you said, right, we become God to the same degree God becomes creator. I think the, the problem is we assume we know what we, we assume that creation the significance and meaning of creation just is its own distinction from God. Mm -hmm. And we sort of, I think, use a we indulge a little bit of picture thinking and think of the world as sort of alongside of God floating out there. And if God gets too close, he's going to, he's going to make things stuffy and might even suppress the integrity of this block of, uh, or this sphere or whatever it is floating there called creation. And I just think the only reason why then you would be threatened by by uh, you know the formulations of identity of person swallowing up the integrity of creation is if you're already assuming that creation creation's nature is all that it is, rather than the work of God, which is nothing less than to make gods of humans. And there, I, I'm I'm answering my own question here, and that is that there is a kind of presumption in the question that we know what creation is, or that even that we know what material things are. And perhaps the most mysterious thing that daily confronts us is matter itself. We have yes. no, that's that's the, the dilemma of modern science. We don't know what yeah. this stuff is. Yeah, and I just think, you know, again, always going back 
first to just the you know the historical incarnation it's like so far from his uh, from his oneness being a threat to to the integrity of his created humanity in fact it generated it and it generated the very natural distinction between his humanity and his own divinity he comprises the interval the extremes within himself if you if you don't think him being the one who hung on the cross him being that he's the subject there that doesn't destroy the created reality and integrity of, of the body hanging on the cross. And I'm, I just don't understand how that objection then can be raised uh, to the formulation creation is incarnation more broadly. Like there seems to be at least at the very least, there needs to be other steps to show why there's a qualitative difference between say like my created status and Jesus's, but that gets a little tricky because you know, he's human in every way like us except sin. So you don't want to make him so qualitatively distinct that he's no longer human like me and consubstantial with me. This this last one, I, I it's probably beyond me because I don't really know much, but uh, about a possible departure from Thomas Aquinas. Have we now with Maximus? Are we dealing with a complete separation, or in fact, is there a possibility <laughs> of reproachment? Well, I mean. Yeah, that's that. That would require quite a lot of uh, investigation of the two, and some people have undertaken to do that. I'm not always convinced by the kind of rapprochements being uh, that have been, you know, offered. Some are better than others, but um, I would think of it again in terms of there's different ways to differ, <laughs> and um, I don't think Maximus is simply a repudiation, you know, in toto of Thomas's thought. I do think there are some parts, especially of the Christology, that you can find, like, say, in the third part of the Summa, that it's very hard to square with what, I've, what I'm seeing in Maximus. So, for example, you know, uh, Thomas will say that the union itself is created in Christ. It's, it's created. Now, what he means by that is clear. He just means, if you think of God as without relation, and then, then you think of any created term being embedded in relations like finite determinations and relations then any relation between the cre uncreated and the created between god and, and creation has to fall on the side of of the created term because that's the only thing that can bear relations that is to say conditions for its existence as being related or dependent on anything exterior to it since god is without beginning without origin without condition without relation then he can't be subject to that kind of mutuality. I think Maximus in in and and <laughs> so this would be an example of the the kind of like move from um from a simple negation to like a sublation or a moving beyond or a synthesis. I'll use that word. That's the right word. I think Maximus say yes, that's true. Insofar as you're thinking of God's nature, the divine nature. The the thing though about the triune God is that he's not simply his nature. So conceived. As, as is the, the conglomeration of negations of, of finitude in order to shore up kind of his simple, simple perfections. So if that's how you're conceiving of God in the world, then sure, that's true. But the thing is about the union is that it's not actually an abstract union. It's, it's, it's an event. It's, it's the hypostatic union, a quote from Maximus, upon which there, it, uh, it bears no imprint of time or becoming. Okay. So, Maximus thinks that the union, that is to say the actual reality which is one between his natures, simply is the person. Now, Thomas got nervous about this in the early 20th century, and they've already raised flags about the whole Neo-Cacedonian thing precisely on Thomistic grounds because they don't like that. It has a lot of weird effects like um, you know, created grace seems to become superfluous, for example, versus uncreated grace. You won't find created grace in Maximus. In fact, you do see uncreated grace specified at least once, maybe twice, but you never see something like created grace. And it's not just because he hasn't thought about it. I think it's, I think he doesn't need it because it's, mm -hmm. if the person alone is the mediator between these two natures, you don't need to, on the level of nature, get them to fit together. And so like fit one in the mode of the other. So you don't, so all that to say, like I, I, there are, right. So whether you're saying, Thomas is saying the union itself is created. Well, it isn't. It's it's actually the union itself is the is the oneness of what is created and uncreated. It's not itself created, because mm -hmm. that would be to say the person himself is, is created. 
uh, as person, right? Rather than as the one who is human. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and so that's, that's a, that would be a difference. I don't think it's an absolute negation. I think it's more that time. And I know Thomas won't, won't like this. <laughs> I think it's more that Thomas didn't think as deeply about that point. So he's right in an abstract way, but that's not the whole truth. Mm-hmm. And Maximus in, on that point gets, gets a, you know, closer to the whole, in my opinion. And we could, we could run down a list like that. And I think, but that's the character, I think, of the difference most of the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a wholesale, you got to choose one or the other. There's right, absolutely right. no reproachment. But I do think there's a real difference and they can't easily be uh, reconciled. And you've got it, you do on some points, particularly on Christology, you got to kind of go with uh, one or the other um, as, as at least a fuller picture of the truth. Darn, this has been a delight. thanks for this this is fun this is a very different kind of conversation than i get to have with my four kids yeah yeah. (laughs) we've i mean this has been this has been really a lot of fun and i hope you'll come back and and uh share some more of your time with us everyone go out and buy the whole mystery of christ creation is incarnation in maximus confessor um jordan thank you so much university of notre dame right Yes, University yep. of Notre Dame Press. Yep. That's right. Yeah, you know, that's been a delight, guys. Thanks for having me. So great to meet you. I'll uh, edit this. And I think what I'll end up doing is making a series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got at least like we got at least like three at least, <laughs> maybe five parts or something, you know. I, I can edit about an hour a uh, fifty minutes or to an hour. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's about all I'm up to. And so yeah. I'll I may put it out in those chunks. That's totally yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Matt. All right. Yeah. 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 We can. I'm. I'm serious. I'd like to, if you're open to it, at some point to come back and uh, just keep keep the conversation going. That's that that kind of is the format that we're going for is to just have you know cool people on and to just kind of let them let them go you know and uh, just <laughs> hopefully hopefully keep that conversation you know going because it's a it's a this was awesome, man. Oh, it was so fun. Yeah, no, I'd love to come back. Yeah, just we'll we'll coordinate it. It'll be fun. You've okay. been, yeah, Sounds good. I mean, your stuff, I, I've already said it, but I think it, it is very much, It's it, it fits with what we're doing in promoting the, the peaceable gospel. Here is, here is the fullness of that foundation, I think. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think it, I think it fits beautifully. Well, I'm happy to be, you know, some sort of contribution to that. So, all right. Good to meet you, Jordan. Great to meet you guys. Thank you. God bless you. Peace. Man, that was terrible. (laughs) No, Um, no, that was, man, he, we were flying high. That's for I, sure. I think so. I think we covered it. I didn't. I. You know, I think I, that's the best one that we've done. I think that's the best. I think that's probably by far the best. You know, it's like you could tag it in so many ways. It's like you know, Thomism, David Bentley Hart. You know, Maximus. Like you can. Um, there's going to be a lot of different people who are interested in this conversation for a whole bunch of different reasons. You know, origin. Um, you know, and, and his Christology, that's the thing that that was your issue. And we, we didn't want to press too hard, you know, there, but it sounded to me like his, uh, the, the person of Jesus Christ for Jordan, whereas, you know, we've talked about this with David Bailey Hart that, you know, uh, God or, or, or sort of formal cause and all these sort of, you know, categories for, they don't seem to quite for Jordan capture the, the particular sort of Christian, you know, gospel uh, in the same way. I th- I think that you know, I think that David Bentley Hart is profoundly Christian. I, I you know he he doesn't he doesn't talk like that, but I think I, I think that he is. But it could be that um you know I'd like to hear what, and I'm sure David will respond at some point to what to what Jordan there there it's going to keep that conversation going, and I would guess that David would respond in some way. But it's a it's an interesting conversation for sure i mean a lot of it i'm gonna have to go back and listen to you know i mean he was he was flying high mm-hmm. yeah yeah Hart, I, I don't know if Hart's interested I, we may have so offended him by this time we put this out that he he understands that there's a uh different sides of this you know conversation and that 
we're just trying to work through it together. You know, I don't, I don't think that, I mean, and, and, and if David came on Frank, quite frankly, we could say like, Hey, you know, the, we don't understand this part of what you're doing when it comes to violence or, or like allowing for, you know, that it doesn't seem to fit even with heart's own vision. Like I said earlier of the, the beauty of the infinite, you know? So, um, maybe it's provisional for him or, or, or whatever. And like the conversations we had about, you know, the sort of competing goods, the transcend, you know, the transcendental competing sort of convertible goods of, um, you know, what's just in a certain situation versus what's good and what's true and all that. Um, so he's going to have a good, you know, I, you know, he, he just directly addressed you are gods and disagreed with it. And, and a pretty, you know, and a pretty, I think and, and with some parts, you know, uh-huh. but to it, like I could reach out to him and be like, Hey, like we were the guys that were trying to get a hold of you, you know, like about a year ago. And we know that you're busy and stuff like that, but we'd love to have you come on. We all just want to be friends, you know, <laughs> okay. we love you. Yeah. <laughs> he was very generous with his time. You know, he's got that quality about him where he can, he can just like discourse and uh-huh. he can, and he's actually saying something, you know, he's not just yammering. Uh-huh. You know, he's he's really laying it out. Uh, and I thought that he answered, you know, um, the question that you asked him, you know, for, from another, um, you know, maybe somebody he would know or whatever in a, in a pretty, um, I liked his answer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I was saying earlier to you about, you know, the, the Orthodox prayer that, you know, um, heavenly, com- you know, heavenly king, comforter, spirit of truth, everywhere present and filling all things, you know. Um, and he, I think he cited Colossians, is it 3.11, you know, that quite explicitly that, um, and I'm, I'm going to look up the St. Simeon, the hymn 15 that he said, you know, that was so explicit that he didn't even want to mention it, you know, on the, on the, that Christ is everything, you know? So yeah, that was a delightful, very fulfilling conversation. I'm looking forward to, you know, more, more of his work. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it was cool how the Zizek stuff did it fit. You know, Zizek's doing something, you know, and he he is kind of describing the inverse reality of what Maximus or Jordan, you know, Daniel Wood is describing, which is the gospel, you know, of creation. Because what Zizek is describing is is like sort of false, or what do you call it, like a false incarnation? False incarnation. That was beautiful. I mean, that's the picture of their. That's their own picture. I mean, that's yeah. what they're they they call it a lie they call it right no question it's a deception right they just don't mind. that's all you got it's a deception. right i mean so they're really articulating you know like sort of the negative you know inverse side of what the of the good news or whatever you know that that creation is deification but you know what jordan was saying is that you really can build a city that's you know that's just like jesus said you know build on sand and uh it's 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 destined to 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 crumble i mean that whole idea of um you know destruction that was heavy whenever he was talking about that's whenever i brought up the origin thing from you know the homilies on the song that's good that's good yeah 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 you know you know destroy the babylon that i've helped create you know and you know, and I didn't say this because I didn't want to bring up David too early, and and I'm always you always make fun of me for you know like David to. really hard. but he you know he said I just listened to a podcast today and he said that as soon as the Big Bang happened or whatever the fall had already that was uh, that's already a sign of the you know of the fall or or not a sign of the fall but it's it's an express you know that's what Jordan was saying too that because the end is the beginning that you know at, at that beginning point you know chronologically mm-hmm. creation isn't yet what it's created to be you know so it's already you know what i mean it's already kind of i, I you know i don't know if it's like falling from the ha- you know it's you, you yeah to say that creation is at the end and the, i mean your point about the cross too i forget who you said that that was but the you know the cross stretches backwards and forwards uh and that that's the creation of the i mean that that was that was that was good so yeah no i thought it was i thought it was great and i hope i didn't you know i wasn't trying to put him in a bad spot there and i hope he doesn't feel like i did i don't think that he did he said that you know this was a great time and everything but i was just trying to give him give him like an opportunity you know with with the disagreement with david to kind of just you know yeah, say yeah. his piece and he, and he did you know 
and he did it in a really coherent way and in a very confident way like he wasn't you know he he wasn't pussyfooting around you know what i mean he he was like here's here's what here's my vision you know i would think for sure that david would was going to you know hear that and he's going to clarify on his side and say that's not what i'm saying or whatever he's going to do you know we'll see we'll see we'll see it's a good thing it's a good thing it's not it's not causing trouble it's it's causing the conversation to to move forward yeah yeah no, absolutely. It's, absolutely. It's, it's, it's it's all good it's all good intention it's all like okay let's let's keep the conversation moving. this is forward. the best conversation out there as far as i can tell yeah i think so that's why i brought up the um and he kind of went into it a little bit but you know maximus on love that's what jordan's describing you know is this dynamic of love of incarnational love of of souls coming together you know spirit coming together of uh theosis like this is a movement of love mm-hmm. it's right you know he says that the you know the the purpose of creation is to raise children god's yeah. purpose in creation is to raise children that's pretty good yeah 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 that's like great that. actually yeah. that's great actually you know and that you know you gotta you gotta participate I felt real low energy tonight. So, all in the evenings, I'm- I could tell. I, you know, at first I was a little nervous. Whenever it was just me and you, I was like, "You're." I don't want you to start shuffling, putting your robe on, and shuffling <laughs> around in your slippers. And your Margaret always says, "Margaret always says you have a little hat with a little ball hanging on the end of it." You know, she <laughs> she imagines that you got the pajamas that are the button up with the slippers and the hat with a little ball. You know, and you're just shuffling around, just waiting to die. You know. <laughs> That's what you said. That's what you said on your. She said she listened to that podcast and that, or then read the. It was a blog, I think. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but yeah, that he got the bad news from the doctor, and they said we're we're sorry, Paul. You know, uh, you've got a blood. You know, you got a condition, and there's just nothing we can do. And he went home and started shuffling around when you're, you know, getting I, some tea or whatever. I could feel the weight. I could, I felt I felt the dying coming on me. You felt the life leaving you. Yeah, yeah. That's terrible. I think in that, I, I can't remember if it was the same blog, I gave an actual case. That where, there someone died. Where the guy got a diagnosis that he had <laughs> cancer. He had only, you know, a few months. And so the guy, he, he said, I'm going to live through Christmas so I can see my family. <laughs> this is and terrible. he got through Christmas. He died and they did an autopsy he didn't have cancer that's unbelievable man the power of uh yeah you could case so. yeah it's just the power of the the mind yeah. Yeah. he may have had like a you know he may have had like a little it, yeah he, he might he have had like a little a little bit but, yeah yeah but, but not enough yeah. i don't know a little bit of cancer sounds like it might be enough to you know but all right. It's a weird. It's a weary to be a theologian. I mean, it's it's hard work to. <laughs> hey, this was fun, wasn't it? It this was, man. This is, it was. This is. I love. I love doing this. For our listeners, go to forgingplowshares.org to follow Paul's blog. You got blogs. You got class. You know, we have classes and a podcast. And a podcast. Yeah. What else, What more could you want? <laughs> There's. There's a life right there. There it is. Yeah, and then there's there's enough on there to spend a lot of time. We got a lot of content. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, Or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.